Well, good morning once again. Glad to see all of you here this morning. And, uh, you know, we're continuing on in this series on Timothy. Uh, we're going to put the QR code up there. If you uh, haven't yet, you can go there for a message outline. And I really hope you've been kind of looking at page two of that outline each week because it uh, shows what we're going to be covering each week. And you can kind of read ahead and be uh, ready. I really, ultimately, I hope you are doing some sort of personal study through the Bible uh, and really connecting with God's Word in some form or fashion, whether I'm not Jim Justice, but uh, in some way, uh, uh, in some way so that, uh, so that you can be ready for this week or, you know, just be connecting with God on a daily basis. So uh, this past week, my parents came into town for a couple days to visit and watch uh, Judah uh, play t-ball. They haven't had that opportunity because they live uh, in Columbus, Ohio, and so it was cool to have them come down. And in preparation for their stay, I decided to finally install the uh, the new toilet seat that's been sitting in the bathroom waiting to be installed for about three weeks. Uh, and, and so uh, if a new toilet seat doesn't say, I'm glad that you're here, well, I don't know uh, what does. We really, we rolled out the red carpet for him. Uh, but as I was getting ready to install the, the new seat, uh, my youngest son, Asher, comes in and he asked if he could watch. And I don't know what that says about the entertainment level in our house. Um, we do have a TV, but, uh, but of course I said yes, because it's cool to have your kids come in and just watch you do something, even if it's something as simple as uh, installing a toilet seat. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever done that, but it's pretty simple. There's the seat and, and two, two screws, a couple nuts. That's it. All right. But as I was tightening the screws to finish installing the seat, Asher's standing there next to me and he goes, you're doing a good job, daddy. And boy, didn't that just make you feel like something awesome inside? I, I felt like, I don't know how many of y'all have seen uh, the original cartoon Grinch from uh, the half hour special, but I felt like the Grinch at the end of the movie where his heart grows three sizes and he lifts the sleigh over his head. I mean, I felt like I could have done anything in that moment, uh, but I was doing a toilet seat. But here I am. That's all I'm doing. It's all, it's only a toilet seat, but Asher's there next to me cheering me on like I'm like disarming a nuclear bomb. Like you're doing a great job, daddy. This is huge. And I love that because that's just the innocent encouragement of a child. Like the only reason he said that was out of love and admiration and a desire just to build me up. And I think that's, that's something I truly wish we had more of in our world, a childlike encouragement of one another that just because I want to build you up, I, th- I, just, I think we need more of that. And this morning, we're, we're going to be talking about encouragement. And we're in week four of this series on Timothy, a true son in the faith, according to Paul. And Timothy, it was a young man, he was quietly living out his faith, and then he gets selected by Paul to join him on what was the second missionary journey. And last week we talked about how, Paul, or how Timothy handled the disappointment he faced after his failure at the church in Corinth. And we said, well, that church is a little bit on the wild side. That was the, it's like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. Many have tried, many have failed, and Timothy was one of those. But rather than giving up, Timothy got right back in there. He kept serving and continued to ask the question that I hope all of you have asked at some point during this series, if not on a daily basis, and that is, how can I become more useful to the Lord in the work of his kingdom? How can I become more useful to the Lord in the work of his kingdom? And wherever you are 
on your faith journey. God can use you in a greater capacity in the work of his kingdom. Even if you're already serving somewhere, we should be a living sacrifice to God, making ourselves available to him over and over and over, pouring ourselves out like a drink offering. And if you haven't already started that, that, asking that question during the series, then my question for you is, what are you waiting for? This is a question that we brought up every week. It's our guided question throughout the series. And we hope that at some point you'll see that a faith that isn't accompanied by service somewhere, well, it's not really a faith at all. James said in James 2 that faith without action is dead. The two things have to go together. An authentic faith in Jesus will not allow us to simply sit on the sidelines and enjoy our personal salvation while we watch others flounder from the bench. So I truly hope you're asking this question because God wants to do more in you and through you. No matter who you are, no matter how gifted or not gifted you might be, no matter what your calling is, God wants to use you in a big way for the work of his kingdom. Your church needs you, your family needs you, and really... This whole community and the world needs you to be serving for the work of his kingdom. Well, today we're going to move forward a a few years in Paul's life into Paul's third missionary journey. And you can read about this in Acts chapters 18 through 21. And around the year 60 AD, the Jewish opposition, well, they finally catch up to Paul and they have him arrested. They've been chasing him around. We've been following his, his life as they've been chasing him. And they finally catch up to him and Paul's arrested. And many of you know that Paul is then in prison as he writes a lot of his letters. And so he's imprisoned and eventually has to face the Roman emperor Nero and his court. Last week we saw where Claudius, another Roman emperor, was mentioned. And these are kind of important from an apologetics or defending your faith perspective because these are publicly recognized figures that you probably heard about when you cover the Roman empire in school. And so what Luke is recording in the book of Acts here should be taught in the same regard as any of these historical texts because we can see that Paul was dealing with the same people that you would read about in your textbooks and, and, about, and learn about in history class. And if you learned about these guys, you learned that these were not guys that you wanted to mess with, especially if you were a Christian. And so that is the opposition that Paul and his team are dealing with in the Roman Empire at this time. And so Paul is sent to face the, the Roman emperor Nero's court, and he's, uh, he, it leads to him being put under house arrest. And later he would face imprisonment, where then he was eventually executed by the emperor Nero. And prior to that, however, he wrote what are, we refer to as the prison letters. And this includes the books of Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And nearly all of these letters, they start out the same way. They're, they start out with Timothy in the greeting. Timothy, my brother. And like we said last week, despite Timothy's failure and disappointment, he went right back to serving the Lord. He didn't say, he didn't run away from it, he didn't tuck his tail between his legs, his, his pride wasn't hurt so much that he said, I gotta be doing something else. He didn't question his calling based on one outcome. This did not, this result in Corinth did not deter him from continuing to serve the Lord. And we're going to be looking at Philippians 2 this morning now. If you have a Bible, if you want to turn there, uh, we'll be in Philippians 2 for most of the morning. And so with Paul under house arrest in Rome, he's again in need of somebody 
to send to one of these church communities. You know, Paul faces this opposition. He's not always able to get there. And now he's in prison. And he says, I need somebody to go on my behalf. And once again, he chooses Timothy. And in verse 19, Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. He's in prison. He needs some good news. So he's hoping I'll send Timothy. He'll report back about you. And then this next part is pretty significant. Paul says in verse 20, I have no one else like him. I have no one else like him. Wouldn't that be such a great thing to hear about you? Like, that's the type of thing that you want somebody to say about you. If you're up for a big project, if there's a big project at work, you would like your boss to be like, I have no one else like him or her. This is the perfect person for this job. Uh, I really hope that your spouse would say, I have no one else like him or her. Uh, that's another sermon. But, uh, but, you know, you would hope that your kids would say about you as a parent, oh, man, there's no one else like him or her. There's nobody else like my mom or dad. They're so awesome. And Paul, you know, Paul worked with a lot of people on his journeys. We've, we've been reading about these people, these great leaders of the faith. You, you see him connected to all these different people, and people like Barnabas or Mark, Silas, Tim, or Titus, Aquila, Priscilla, Luke, and, and the, these are just the people that we mentioned. You know, Paul, in all of his dealings, he had to be connected with all kinds of great Christian leaders, yet it's only Timothy that he says, I have no one else like him. That's the only person he says that about. Now, last week we saw that, that Timothy was probably not the most gifted of leaders that, uh, among Paul's associates. Uh, Paul's letters to Timothy, well, they show that he was introverted or shy, timid in personality, and he might not have been in great physical health. Timothy seems more like a follower than a leader, honestly. Last week in 2 Corinthians, when there was this problem that with the Corinthian church that wasn't taken care of by Timothy, Paul says that Titus was going to, to Corinth on his own initiative. Like Titus stood up and said, yeah, I'll do it. Somebody need the job done? What do you need done? Where do you need me to go? I'll do it. I'll do it right now. You know, he, it seemed like Titus maybe had a little bit more ambition, a little more like get up and go, and, and a little bit more leadership in his personality. And I think we see that sometimes in our lives. Some people, are, are, they're more outgoing, more extroverted, more boisterous, ready to, to take the bull by the horns. Where do you need me? What do, I, what, do, what do you need me to do? And then some people, well, they're more quiet and introverted. They, they wait for somebody to come to them and say, I, I think you'd be really great at this. They're more calculated and timid. They're, they're ready to stay in the background. We talked a couple weeks ago about how Jason housed Paul and Silas while they were there. So Paul and Silas are the ones out there going, all right, here's the gospel. Let me take it out there. And Jason goes, well, I'm not really good with that, but I'll let you stay at my house. And in both ways, whether you're out front or you're in the support role, you're equally important in the work of the kingdom. I mean, because God can use anybody, whether you're the leader or you're the support. God can use anybody. He used Titus, and he used Timothy, and he can use all of us. I have no one else like him. I have no one else like him. Paul really admired Timothy, and it wasn't because of the depth of his giftedness, but rather the breadth of his character. It wasn't the depth of his giftedness, it was the breadth of his character. Now, there was a movie that came out several years ago called Draft Day, and uh, some people 
you know, there was varying levels. Critics liked it, they didn't. But uh, it was a, it's a football movie, and more specifically, the reason I liked it, because it's a football movie about the Cleveland Browns. I, I love the Cleveland Browns. I've gone through, I've endured a lot with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, and this movie, as you can kind of maybe tell from the title, it is about the lead-up uh, to the NFL draft. Now, if you don't know much about the NFL or you know, things like that, the, the Browns, I think they were selected for this movie because uh, the Browns have picked high in the draft for many, many years. And if you don't know what that means, that means that the Browns have been really bad at football for many, many years, okay? And so, uh, you know, the reason I think that they were selected is because for a Browns fan, for so long, you might think the Super Bowl is in February, but for a Browns fan, it was in April, because it was like, hope springs eternal in April. We're finally going to draft a guy, right? This is going to be the savior of the franchise. This is going to be great. And then they start playing in September, and all that comes crashing down. But in April, it's great, right? You lead up to the draft, you love it. And so Kevin Costner, uh, is he's the star of this movie, and he plays a guy uh, named Sonny Weaver. Sonny Weaver is the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. And if you don't know, the general manager is the one that gets the say on who a team drafts. They, they have scouts, they have coaches, they offer their opinion. But the GM, the general manager, that's the guy that makes the call. And so as they prepare in the movie, the consensus number one pick, the one that the media, ever, all the experts say that is the guy, is a quarterback that is supremely gifted. Oh, this is the best prospect in years. This is the guy to take with the number one pick. And, and so Sonny Weaver goes through this movie, and ha- as he does his research, there's just something that kind of sticks in his crawl about this guy. Like, ah, there's just something not right. There's just something off. And he talks to him, and he asks him these questions, and he just isn't quite getting the answers that he would like. And so in the end, what ends up happening is he ends up drafting a, another player that maybe isn't quite as gifted, maybe isn't quite as talented, but his character is so much higher. He's just a much better human being. Because just like Sonny Weaver, and just like, or just like Paul, Sonny Weaver knew that it wasn't about the depth of the player's giftedness, but rather the breadth of his character. And that's important for you and me because some of us aren't as gifted as others. Or, or maybe you're just gifted differently than others. But you know what? That doesn't matter. What matters is our character. Because we can work on our character. We can grow as a person. Our character can grow, and we can be useful to the Lord and the work of his kingdom, no matter what your giftedness is. We love to see people with great giftedness. I mean, it's great to see people out there and using their gifts, and we just are amazed at how gifted some people are. But usually where there is one of them, there's ten more surrounding them with great character. A lot has been written. You can go to the, to the bookstore and see aisles about being a great leader. But what you don't see as much is what does it take to be a good follower? And, and if, we're, if we're being honest, you know what? The world doesn't need any more YouTube stars. They don't need any more TikTok you know, uh, kingpins. They don't need more Christians with 100,000 followers putting out a whole bunch of great quotes that we can all share. We don't need any more high-profile Christians because you know what's pro- what the problem eventually is is because we prop up men and women into these high-profile roles and what eventually happens? There's some sort of failure. There's some sort of disappointment and, and they let us down because you know what? 
They're not Jesus. And anybody that we prop up into a high role that isn't Jesus will eventually let us down. What we need is more ordinary Christians who are actually following God's word and living daily in communion with Jesus. What we need is people that are salt and light. Jesus said that we are to be salt and light to fight the decay of this world and to light up the darkness around us. There's a man named Pliny the Elder. He actually lived uh, at the same time uh, that we're talking about here in the Roman Empire. He's a first century Roman author. And he said that there's nothing more useful in the world than salt and sunshine. There's nothing more useful in the world than salt and sunshine. Friends, we don't need any more high-profile, ambitious, go-get-em Christians that are making their own brand. No, we desperately need more Christians actually living out their faith on a daily basis, daily basis. And we need more Christians who are actually loving one another and loving their neighbor. We need more followers than we need leaders. And so what does it take to be a good follower? A great team member, a member that is useful to the Lord and the work of his kingdom? Well, we can look at Timothy once again as an example. Look back at Philippians chapter 2, verses 20 through 24, where Paul says, I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, He has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. See, Paul never lost confidence in Timothy. As much as Timothy could have chosen to say, I don't know if I'm cut out for this anymore, after his disappointment and failure in Corinth, Paul just as easily could have chosen to say, "Ah, how about you just ride this one out on the bench a little bit, kid? How about you learn from your mistakes? I'm going to keep you off of this project. But instead, Paul remained fully confident in Timothy, believing in him when others might have given up on him. He saw that there was still something there. He still believed in Timothy. See, we live live in in a culture of instant gratification, and what happens is that can lead to a lack of patience in people. What have you done for me lately, Right? And so sometimes we we see people make mistakes and we say, okay, next one, who can I get instead of this guy? This guy messed up. We get one chance sometimes. Sometimes we need to see past people's failures and the times that they disappoint us and instead focus on the measure of their character, just like Paul did with Timothy. And so what are some things that we can see in the character of, of Timothy that we can learn from, that we can take encouragement from as we live out our daily lives? Number one, Timothy cared more about others than he did himself. He cared more about others than he did himself. Paul says that Timothy had genuine concern for the Philippian believers. While others might have been more concerned about themselves and what was going on in their lives, Timothy was focused more on the believers. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul would refer to a man named Demas, saying, For Demas, because he loved the world, deserted me. You see the contrast there, the, way that, the difference in the way that Paul talks about these two men? Timothy is my brother. Timothy genuinely cares about you. There's nobody else like Timothy. But Demas, well, Demas loved the world. Demas deserted me. You ever meet somebody who just knows how to, uh, to work a room? Uh, some, I think the technical term for this is a schmoozer. Uh, you know, they always have the, the right thing to say. Uh, they're liked by everybody. And, and 
you kind of leave a conversation, you don't know. Like, perhaps you leave a conversation with them wondering how authentic that interaction truly was. Like, do they really care about me? Are they really concerned about me? Uh, will they even think about what I just told them after this conversation? Will they even remember talking to me tomorrow? A friend of mine was once describing a fellow Christian whom he held in really high regard. And he said, he's the type of guy that when he tells you he's going to pray about you, he actually prays for you. Now, if you've been in church very long, or if we have an honest moment here this morning, you know the depth of that statement. Because sometimes we just tell people things to, to move them along, right? All right, see you later. I'll be praying for you. And then you forget, right? And that's kind of the image I get here of Timothy when Paul's talking about him. Yeah, he's not, he might not be the most gifted. There might be other people that are good at things, but he actually cares about you. You ain't going to find anybody with a higher character than Timothy. He actually cares. And he cared about these people above himself. And friends, I believe that if our country needs anything right now, if the American church needs anything right now, it's a, bit, it's a lot less of preoccupation with ourselves. We can come here each week and we hear that it shouldn't be about us. We can see, love God, love people, and serve on the wall out there or hear it in here. Yet I fear that most of us are more Demas than Timothy. And I admit, this outward focus is not easy because the world is constantly taking, telling you to make sure you take care of yourself. It's very individualistic. It's about building your brand, right? And making sure that, that you're taken care of. And we start thinking about things and asking questions like, well, what is happening to me? Why doesn't anybody fight for me? How is this going to affect me? Why doesn't anybody notice me? Why doesn't anybody do that kind of thing for me? And we end up in a position where we'd much rather serve ourselves and make sure we're taken care of than others. We get a mentality that says, hey, it's every man for themselves, right? you got to take care of you. I have to get taken care of first before I can start helping others. Well, friends, this morning I'm here to tell you this world is not an airplane. That might seem like a weird takeaway right in the middle of this sermon, right? This world is not an airplane. What are we talking about here? This world is not an airplane. I don't know, you know, if you've flown, you know that when they give you the safety procedure at the beginning of the, of the flight, in an emergency, the oxygen masks are going to come down, and what do they say? They say, put yours on first, right? Put yours on first before you can take care of anybody else. And so in, in an airplane emergency, yes, that is what you're to do, but this world is not an airplane. Because we seem to have taken the advice from an airplane emergency and applied it to our lives. And we say, oh, I'm going to take care of me and mine before I even think of helping you. Because there certainly isn't anybody else that's going to look out for me. And while that's the rule in an airplane emergency, this world is not an airplane. It's okay to care more about others, to love others more than yourself, even if it's to the detriment of yourself. Another thing we can learn from Timothy is that he cared more about the work of the gospel than he did his own comfort. He cared more about the work of the gospel than he did his own comfort. Timothy's life, it was full of risk. And Paul, 
his bold approach of sharing the gospel, man, it was constantly putting his team in danger in nearly every place that they went. When you read through Acts, there's rarely an occasion where there wasn't some sort of conflict as they moved around. And it, just, it was striking to see how much anger and opposition Paul and his team stirred up in the Jewish people who opposed Jesus and his teaching. They hated Jesus, and they had him crucified to try and put an end to him in the way. They hated Paul, and they tried to kill him as well. They tried to get rid of him. Paul and his team, man, they were constantly in their crosshairs. And we talked about a couple weeks ago, they were so angry that they followed him 50 miles on foot just to try to put an end to it. And with all of this going on, nobody was mentioned to be with Paul more than Timothy. So you got to imagine, Timothy's going through all this just as much as Paul is. But there was more than just violent opposition from these people. Travel itself, traveling to each one of these places was dangerous. Paul wrote about it in 2 Corinthians 11. He said, I have worked much harder, been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers." I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And I just want to take a moment there and pause and look at that and say, wow, how much do we owe to Paul and his team for what they toiled through for the work of the gospel? Because I truly believe that we wouldn't be here today without all that they went through. So the next time that we feel like it's hard to share the gospel, I think we should look back at this and say, but they went through a lot, right? And still they pressed on. Violent mobs, difficult travel, and that's all on top of Paul's constant concern for the new believers that he's leading to Christ in each of these churches. He says in verse 28, besides everything else, besides all of that, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. There was a weight on Paul. When you read through these letters, you can tell he loved these people so much. There was so much concern in his heart for these people. So on top of dealing with all of that that we just read, daily there's a burden of, I don't know how they're doing. I hope they're okay. Are they even following? And what brought him joy was hearing that they were. We just read about that earlier. I hope Timothy will come back and bring me joy as I sit here in prison after dealing with all that man, I just, I hope you're okay. I hope you're following the way. Working for the Lord and his kingdom was not easy and it wasn't safe. And one can imagine that Timothy faced all these same challenges. Paul had chosen Timothy to be on his team. He sent him to Thessalonica to to strengthen and encourage the believers there. He sent him to Corinth to try and get that troubled church straightened out. Now, he's sending him to Philippi, and yet, you know what we never hear in any of this? Any complaints from Timothy. There was never a point where Paul said, well, I tried to send Timothy to you. He said no, so I'm sending somebody else. It was always, I'm sending Timothy to you. 
the end, right? And Timothy went. Timothy was available to be used by, by God in whatever capacity it looked like. Yeah, it's going to be hard, but I'm going. Where do you want me to go, Paul? I know you can't, so I'll go for you. In fact, if we look back at Philippians 2, Paul says in verse 22, Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. And any of, you, any of you that are close with your dad, you might have worked projects together. You might have been right there by his side as you, as you worked. And that's the image that I get here. As a son with his father, they're step by step, they're working in the advance of the gospel. And the word that Paul actually uses here for served comes from the Greek word doulos, which is the word that we translate in English as slave. And it was intentionally used by Paul, because Paul, there are several words that Paul could have chosen to use for served here, but he went with slave. Timothy was a slave to Christ. He worked so hard and sacrificed his comfort, went through all of that because he believed that it was worth it for the gospel to be advanced. This morning, do you want to be more useful to the Lord and the work of his kingdom? Boy, I hope so. And I hope that you'll let Timothy and his willingness to serve, to make himself a slave to Christ, be an encouragement to you like he was to Paul and the churches in Thessalonica and Philippi. Timothy's life shows us that it's not about your giftedness. You don't have to be the best at something. You don't even have to be great at something. It's about your character. It's about your willingness to make yourself available, to say yes to God and grow in your faith. See, when we look at servants and we look at slaves, see, a servant is paid, but a slave is paid for. And so this morning, I hope that you'll make yourself a slave to Christ just the way that Timothy was. Friends, it's time to, to get the attention off of us and start putting it on others instead. That's what God put you here for, to love him and to love others. So commit yourself to serving God without concern for your own comfort. Put those things aside and say, I'm going to serve the Lord first. I'm going to serve my neighbor first. We have, a lot of us have memorized the, the Lord's Prayer, right? From, a child, from childhood, you memorize the Lord's Prayer. And one of the lines is there, in there is, give me today my daily bread. Let God take care of your needs, and then you focus on serving others instead. Let him take the wheel on that stuff, and it frees you up for so much else. And while Timothy was a great example of this, Jesus, no surprise, was the supreme example of this. Earlier in Philippians 2, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He says, care about others more than you care about yourself. And then look at verse 6. He's still talking about Jesus. And he says, who, being in very nature God, he, he is God. But he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. 
He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Care about the work of the gospel more than you care about your own comfort. Paul reminds us that instead of using equality with God to his advantage, he could have done anything with that, right? He had all the authority, all the power in the world that he could have used, but Jesus instead made himself nothing so that he could save each one of us. So much love, he would make himself nothing for us. And while Jesus was here, he said, you are to love others the way that I love you. So there's going to be times that you have to make yourself lesser or even nothing in order to help others. That's what it looks like to care about others more than yourself. That's what Timothy did, and that's what Jesus did, because that's what a genuine love and concern looks like. It's not always easy work. It's not always popular work. It's going to drive you crazy. It's going to be frustrating sometimes. You're going to want to quit. But just like Timothy, I hope that you'll keep going on because you have a genuine concern about others more than yourself. Just like Jesus, I hope. How many times do we feel like we we would frustrate Jesus? He says, I love you so much that I would make myself nothing and die on the cross for you. And when we do this, you know what? It can be a dangerous and thankless job. There's not going to be a lot that comes back that you feel great at the end of the day, right? But it's not about that. It's because I love you so much, I want you to have more than I do. So in those moments, I want to point you to Jesus and remind you that he endured the shame and the humiliation of the cross so that he could die for you. He came and did that for you. And you might sit in a room like this and say, well, not me. (laughs) No, no, I've done too much, or it couldn't be me. No, no, he did it for you. He gave up his equality with God for you. And so this morning, I hope as as we think about that, I hope you would know that the least that we can do for him in return is to ask the question, how can I be more useful to God in the work of his kingdom and to live daily for him? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we can come here this morning and learn from your word, learn from the words of Paul, learn from the example of Timothy. And Father, I pray that we would start to to shape our lives, to shape the way that we live around these examples, that we would start caring about others above ourselves and we would care about the gospel more than our own comfort. In this world, it's, it's not always going to be easy. Most times, it's not going to be easy. It's not easy to love people. It's not easy to keep following you and to press on. There's going to be opposition. But Father, I pray that we would look to you for strength. And in those moments, we would see that though it's not always easy, it's always worth it to love others and to, to, to just pour into them as an offering. Father, I I hope that we would ultimately look to the example of your son, Jesus. He could have stayed with you. He could have used his authority and power to his own advantage, yet he did not. He made himself in human likeness. He made himself nothing 
for each one of us. And I hope that that truth this morning is life-changing for us. That, it would, that we would hear that and that our hearts would be changed and that we would know that that same love that Jesus has for us, that is the love we are to have for others. Father, I pray that we would, as Christians, we would start living that truth daily. Not looking out for ourselves, but we would be sacrificial in the way that we live, even if it means we never get ahead. If we're constantly losing, you know what? That would mean that you're constantly winning. And I pray that we would hear this, that the least will be first in your kingdom. And it's okay. It's okay to not get things sometimes. It's okay to be on the bottom because if we're serving in your kingdom, that means that ultimately we'll get to spend eternity with you and none of this will matter. So Father, this morning I pray that you would, you would work on us as we leave this place, that we would live differently because of these truths. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've come here this morning and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, and your King, I hope you would change that this morning. I hope you hear the truth that, that Jesus has equality with God, yet He came to save you. He didn't come just to save the perfect people. He didn't come to save the church people. He came to save everyone. We just have to accept Him. Accept that gift of salvation and turn our lives over to him and say, I want to follow you from here on out. And as we said, it's not always going to be easy. <laughs> but you know what? There's the eternal hope. The eternal salvation says, though life is not easy, though this life is painful, I still have salvation and eternity with Jesus to look forward to. So I hope if you've never made that decision, I hope you come forward this morning, be ready to be baptized in front of all these witnesses and say, Jesus is my king from here on out. There's no better day than today to do that. Perhaps you have been going through the storms of life this week and you just need somebody to pray with you. Man, we do, I feel like sometimes we kind of discount prayer, but prayer is the ultimate weapon in our fight against what this world might bring us. And so if you need somebody to pray with you this morning, I would love to do that. You can come down front. I'd love to talk with you after the service if you don't want to come down now or all throughout the week. If you scan the QR code, you can send it in a prayer request to the information card. We pray over those every week as a staff because we know how important it is to build up those who are hurting. Prayer is the ultimate weapon, and I hope that we recognize that and use that as we go about our daily lives. So whether there's a decision you need to make this morning or you just need some prayer, uh, I'd love for you to come down front. But I ask that all of us now stand and sing as we sing our final song.